So it's the 4th of June, 2022. So we train these minds to have samadhi with sila virtue as their foundation. So the sila is this intent to um, bring in, to compose our acts of body and speech so that they are correct. So as kind of a higher virtue that we keep the sila for the sake of developing samadhi and wisdom. <clears throat> but we also need this wisdom in order to look after our sila well, in order to care for it so that it brings about inner peace. Because if we don't have that wisdom, then it's possible that through our practice of sila, our attempts to keep sila, then uh, chaos may um, ensue or occur. So if we're going to keep sila and for that to be pure, then that needs to depend on our intention. And we need to take our intention as the most important thing. Like the first precepts of not killing beings, that depends on our intention. But if we're going to try to act in this world in a way that doesn't cause any death whatsoever, well that's just not possible. So it's like driving a car at night, and it's raining as well, so there are many insects that hit the windshield and they die as a result. But the thing is, is that we don't have the intention to kill them. And so the question can arise, well, if we don't have that intention to kill, then would we be driving? And if we didn't drive the car, then none of those animals would die. But this does depend on our intention. We don't have the intention for that to happen. And so really, sila, Virtue, it um, depends on our intention. Like during the time of the Buddha, there was a woman whose husband uh, was a hunter. And she prepared the food for her husband. She prepared the tools and the weapons as well. Because that was her duty and that was the occupation um, of her husband. So she did that to take care of her family. This woman was born into a wealthy family, but she fell in love with this hunter. But she had practiced the Dhamma to the level of being a stream enterer, a sotapanna. And so the question arose that she prepared the food and the weapons, the bow for her husband. So how is it that she could possibly be a Sotapanna? Did she have any intention to kill? And so this issue, this question, it came to the Buddha. And so the Buddha went and asked this uh, lay disciple. And she replied that she didn't have any intention to kill, but rather this was the occupation of her family and this was her duty. But further on, her husband, um, he actually had a lot of old barami, and eventually he listened to the Dhamma of the Buddha, and faith arose, and he too attained to Sotapanna. 
So therefore our intention is very important. Like we have a house and we need to protect that house. And say there are ants or termites that come in and we don't have any intention to kill them but we do have this intention to look after our home. We try to avoid any death as best we can but we also need to look after and take care of our house as well. So when we look after our sila, we shouldn't do that to the point that we worry and suffering arises. Because if we do that, um, then samadhi just won't be there within the mind. There'll be no samadhi, there'll be no wisdom either. And when there's no wisdom, then vimuti, liberation, simply can't arise. So we walk along this noble path, that which takes us to abandoning all unskillful or evil deeds, as papa, and papa is that which is hot, that which agitates. And that arises from clinging, doesn't it? So we need to train at this point. When the eye sees a form, the ears hear sounds, the nose uh, smells something, the tongue tastes something, there's tactile sensation that um, hits the body, or there's a thought arising in the mind. And this is the point where clinging comes up. And in order to extract and abandon all of this papa, all of this badness, or um, these demeritorious things, we need wisdom to do that. And so maybe we use that wisdom, we contemplate, and use that to extract. Extract these feelings, extract these views that we attach to. So when there's attachment there, then we want everything to be the best that it can be. And sometimes fear arises due to that, and that delusion that's there in the mind. Like we think that this is an auspicious day, and that day is not an auspicious day, Um, following the tenets of different forms of astrology or traditions that people believe in in their various countries. But if we're going to draw it to point of conclusion, really what we need is wisdom. The wisdom to see how suffering arises due to our wrong views. And if we're going to be freed from suffering, then we need right view. We need to practice the Dhamma, <coughs> following this path of sila, samadhi, and panya, a virtue, collectedness, and wisdom, this noble path. And we see how other things, other paths, they don't lead us out of suffering. In the beginning, however, we need to the mind just does attach to things. That's just what happens. And so we come to know about this. We study, we learn, our knowledge grows. So the training of samadhi is something that's very important. When we are restrained through acts of body and speech, we look after our sila well. And then this training in samadhi is significant. So it's something that we need to 
put our efforts into, we need to try. <clears throat> if there's a lot of thinking going on, then we repeat this word buddho very quickly. A buddho dhammo sangho, buddho dhammo sangho, buddho dhammo sangho. And we carry on doing that. And the mind's proliferating away. And we recite buddho, 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 very quickly. We don't let the mind think about anything other than that. Just carry on reciting that, buddho, buddho, buddho. And then as the thoughts in the mind get slower, then we can slow down this recitation of buddho as well. So just carry on doing that. Do that frequently, and then the mind will reach into peace. <clears throat> and it's like we're changing over the information that's there in the mind. And these days there's a lot of information around. And so there's a lot of thinking. And that thinking, it doesn't stop. It just goes on very quickly. And there's irritation in the mind. The mind's very restless. So we need to try and change that information and replace it with buddho. And we try doing that. Because if we don't train the mind, it's just going to carry on being this way. It's not going to be any different. We think from the time we were born until um, death. And then we're born again and we just carry on thinking all over again. And so we do need to train these minds. And once we've trained the mind well, then peace and happiness will arise within them. And so really give this a go, give it a good shot. Whether standing, walking, sitting, lying down, and try repeating buddho a lot, no matter what you're doing. Have a lot of mindfulness there. And we can use another meditation object, like the recollection of death, for instance. And you can repeat that life is not sure, death is sure. Death is the culmination of my life. My life must end in death. Life is not sure, but death is sure. So when we do this, contemplate like this, then the mind can become peaceful. It becomes still and calm. And this may just be a temporary state of mind. But as we do that more and more, then that peace becomes deeper and deeper. The mind can get into kanaka samadhi, it's kind of minor form of samadhi, and then upajara, neighborhood samadhi. And if we carry on practicing a lot, then that can go into apana or access samadhi. But it's not the case that we just sit in meditation for the first time and apana samadhi comes up. Well, some people can do that, and that shows that they've got a lot of um, old good karma there, that they have that. Um, kind of inherent in their minds from their previous actions. But it's not that we get Kanaka Samadhi and then we want that to just go straight into Upajara or Apana Samadhi. Because this development of Samadhi, it does take time. So, and for some people, they initially don't get any Samadhi. So we need to bring up forbearance first. We need to just persist with our efforts, training these minds. So in the training of the mind, are we skilled at that? And initially we're not going to be skilled. And so we need to go against our hearts. We need to oppose the ways of the heart. We need to forbear. We need to go against the defilements. 
And if we forbear with the defilements and if we oppose them, then they can't affect us. They're still there, but we don't follow them. And so it's like we're putting up a good fight with them. If there's greed, hatred, and delusion there within the mind, we don't follow that. And what's that like? Well, it's really hot inside. It can be very agitated. But we just carry on doing that. Is there anger there? And for some people, they can get angry very easily, and it lasts for a long time. But we forbear. We don't follow it. We don't allow that to come out in our actions or nor our speech either. We try not to let that come out of our eyes. Because sometimes if the anger is very strong and we look at someone, it's like fire flashing out of our eyes. And so we just try to forbear with this. And for some people who have samadhi, it can be even more intense. There can be great energy, strength to their anger. But as we train, then it becomes better and better and we're able to gain more control. We can control our body, we can control our speech. And if wisdom comes up, then we'll see clearly as well how this greed, this hatred, delusion, they're just temporary things. They come up within the mind. Say this delusion conditions the mind, but that's just temporary. It comes and then it goes. There may be meritorious things conditioning the mind, demeritorious things conditioning the mind, but that arises, it stays for a bit, and then it ceases. But before we have that wisdom, we take all of this to be me. There's conditioning there coming up. There's proliferation through delusion. And that's me, that's a self. Greed, hatred and delusion is a self, it's me. And if there's an absence of greed, hatred and delusion, that absence of those qualities is also me. But if we see clearly, we see that that's not correct. These things just arise temporarily from the conditions. And so there's this conditioning that's happening. These sankharas coming up, meritorious sankharas, demeritorious sankharas. You see that when the mind is still and spacious and there's not much going on, then this doesn't happen. But when contact arises, that's where delusion comes up, right there. There's this delusion that comes up, and then this proliferation and conditioning that comes up. Sankharas arise, meritorious or demeritorious sankharas. And the mind attaches to all of this proliferation as being self. So they're connected in this way. There's this craving, and then this clinging, this attachment that comes up, and through the delusion that's there, that avijja leads to sankharas, conditions, and then that in turn leads to craving and then to clinging. But these also cease as well. But if the mind doesn't have wisdom, it will come up all over again. And it happens very, very frequently. And we understand that that entire process, it's all me. I am the owner of greed, hatred and delusion. Or if there's no greed, hatred and delusion, I am experiencing that, I'm the owner of that. 
But where are those things? Are they there? Can we keep them? Where are they now? These feelings that we've had before, say the greed that we've had before in the past, where is that now? The anger that we felt many years ago, where's that now? And maybe we remember something in the past that made us angry, and then we attach to that, we remember that, and it's me uh, who was angry then. But then that memory brings up anger all over again. We cling to the forms and the sounds, uh, the taste, the odors, the tactile sensations that we've experienced in the past. And maybe greed arises towards that. We remember the taste of some delicious food that we, that we had eaten. So we remember that and we think about it again. And that feeling comes up again. There's that remembrance of the flavor that we had in the past. So these memories are a dhamma aramana. It's kind of uh, like a mental formation that's arising. Something that arises, an aramana that arises within the heart. But they arise and then they also cease as well. But if we're going to summarize, then we say, Sabe sankara anicca, sabe sankara dukkha, and sabe dhamma anatta. That's right, yeah? That's the all anatta, and there isn't a self. And if we have wisdom, then we're able to contemplate in this way. We can look at the mind and know that it's just a mind. If it's being conditioned, we see that it's just a mind there that's being conditioned. But there's no being, no individual, no me, no you. That level of the practice requires samadhi, however. And if we're not able to contemplate in this way, then we need to come back to contemplating feelings, contemplating the body, and use this as our mainstay. But some practitioners are impatient and they want to be able to contemplate further. They want to be able to just look at the mind and think that they'll be able to attain Dhamma through doing that. But it's like a primary school student who wants to take the tests of um, the level of high school or of university and expects to be able to pass them. So whatever knowledge, or whatever level we have our knowledge to, um, then we should just take those tests. Whatever level our sila, samadhi and panya is to, then we contemplate on that level. So we contemplate the body first, and sometimes vedana, we can contemplate that, the feelings. Sometimes can look at the mind as well and follow up on the mind. But for many people when they do this, if they try to just look at the mind and just look at the proliferation of the mind, then that proliferation just goes on and on, it doesn't stop. It's just that constant thinking there. And what that shows is that the energy of those thoughts is greater than the energy of mindfulness and of the mind. It's not stopping, 
We know what's happening, but it's not stopping. It doesn't come to an end. So that shows that our mindfulness isn't up to scratch. So we need to come back and train in mindfulness again. And sometimes there we meet with something that we like, that we delight in. The mind proliferates on that. And we watch that proliferation, but after an hour it's still going. We're still thinking. There's still that desire there within the mind. Perhaps we think our own bodies or the bodies of other people are beautiful. And so there's that liking that's there and that proliferation that just goes on and on and on. So we need to come back and return. If there's, say, anger, then we develop metta. Or if there's that liking towards bodies, then we contemplate a body as being something unattractive. Now this body is unattractive, the bodies of other people are unattractive as well. It's just a thin bag of maggots, or of bones, or various organs, or lymph, or blood. If we throw it away, then maggots come and infest the body and eat it. And if that thin covering breaks, then blood flows out of it. And then if um, someone come and cuts up this body, do perform an autopsy, take the organs out, and we see that there's nothing beautiful there within it. But when we just look at the external parts of the body, we just see the skin, and that skin obscures what's inside. And so we think that it's beautiful. But the body, it never makes that claim. The body never says that it's beautiful. So where does that come from? Why is it that these things are beautiful? Well, it comes from the delusion of our minds that the defilements have been training for a long time. So we need to come back and contemplate this body, seeing it as something that's unattractive. We can pull up each of the 32 parts and ask ourselves, well, which of these is beautiful? And contemplate so that peace can arise. Have mindfulness here within the body. So we shouldn't think that we're just really great at this practice already and we can contemplate this mind and attain to the Dhamma just like that. And some people think that watching the mind is easy, but when they come to watch the body, it's very difficult. And that's because this body contemplation, it goes against, it opposes the flow of their minds. This mind that sees the body as being something beautiful, it has that perception. So we need to utilize these perceptions to go against that. And perhaps initially it may not be a limiter that comes up. But we bring up this um, asuba sanya, this perception of the unattractiveness. And when we see the body as being something not beautiful, then the mind becomes beautiful, becomes very bright. The mind can be very clear through this perception. So as we carry on contemplating into the body, then perhaps nimittas do arise, and we can use those nimittas to contemplate further. 
see the body as being just elements and then seeing it as being empty. So when the mind gathers together, then this is how we see the body. And through seeing that, then we see the Dhamma. And then the mind transcends the world, it reaches this Lokuttara Dhamma. And from that, then Samadhi grows more and more. Our wisdom grows as well. But this all rests upon a foundation of virtue. So we should be intent on training these minds, on seeking out the most noble thing, and seeking out this important wealth, this noble wealth. And so may all of you set your hearts on this. <laughs>